Welcome to the World Nomads podcast, delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. There's something about the islands here that touches people's souls. Hopefully we're making an impact in the world that people will stop killing and culling sharks. It looked like snot and it smelled bad, but then let that put you off. It was good for you. <laughs> what else in the world are you going to see the condor three meters right in front of you? No, absolutely. Mm. I'm not sure Rock if I want to see the out. condor three meters in front of me. <laughs> so many things in our society that are throwaway and we see those things on our beaches, on our coastline. Has anyone ever pooped themselves? <laughs> Sometimes the Germans can come off as cold. Uh, I think it's important to remember what has happened, but also look forward to the into the future and, and be positive about it. And that's, I think, what Germans are. It offers travelers the opportunity to teach English to children and experience the Panamanian... Oh, that's going to be... Speaking of teaching yeah. English... <laughs> I've got to learn to speak it. We were all told that you can't take a leak into the river. You can't <laughs> urinate into the river mm. because there's a parasite that will swim up your urine stream. Mm. Yeah, Phil, um, <laughs> you... Uh... An idiot? <laughs> <laughs> it's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous, independent traveller. And I think it was, you know, Minora and Majora, I think they are, and they are uh, very popular with Italian tourists, but they're just not in the Western guidebooks. They can't be called that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) downstairs stuff. No, no. Okay, but the opposite of that, they were beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know, Kim's lost it. Kim's gone all anatomical and she's lost it. (laughs) Anyway... Place called that. There yeah, it's Minori and Maori. Yeah, it's M I N. Yeah, but that's Minori. not what Phil said. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right then. All right, let's get Maybe. let's get back to what was oh. what guidebook were you looking at? <laughs> I absolutely love that. That would have to be one of the all-time greatest bloopers. Oh. It makes me laugh every time. As I've explained before, it's like that you are on it straight away and it's that slow realisation of what I've actually said from I tell you me. what, before you even hear from me, my eyes were like yeah. popping. I could not believe it. And if you don't know what we're getting at, then you haven't listened in your sex ed classes. No, that's right. <laughs> Welcome to the Best of the World Nomads podcast as we look back at not only 2018 but some of the highlights from when we first launched in 2017. That was actually a classic from a chat with Madeline who runs Italy Beyond the Obvious, a travel planning service that is just for Italy. And it was during that podcast we spoke with Elena who ate a sandwich in Italy that made her cry. A little bit like that blooper. Yeah. Well, the thing about food in Italy is that it's so fresh and so much of it is local because Italians take this incredible pride in their food. Um, So in Cinque Terre, they have what is traditionally called poor food. They say that it's very like um, simple food. But it's just, I mean, you take a couple ingredients like lemons, basil, potatoes, and some anchovies, and you throw it all in a dish, and it's just exquisite. I mean, these people know what they're doing. Yeah, it's a real family experience too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, actually, at one of the, um, I spent several uh, afternoons in kitchens in, um, in Cinque Terre on this trip. And one of the times I was in the kitchen with three generations. So I had a grandmother, a daughter and her granddaughter all in the kitchen together. And we were cooking and it was just, it was wonderful. It was very Italian to have all the family there. Tell me about pizza. Did they really invent pizza, the Italians? 
Uh, but, you know, I don't actually know the question, uh, the answer to that entirely. The oh, hang on, ethics. hang on, Elena. Phil will. <laughs> <laughs> Phil knows everything. Tell me, Phil. Um, Yes, the margarita pizza is very definitely an Italian invention because it's the colours of the Italian flag. Right, okay. Right? The white cheese, the red tomato base and the green basil leaf or basil leaf, as you want. And it was, for, it was invented as a, uh, as a dish for Queen Margarita, hence it's called margarita. Right. Is there anything, I'm sorry. <laughs> is there anything Phil doesn't know? I'm sorry. You know, I have heard that story, but it's one of those things you have to wonder if it's an Italian myth but I, I know that they are, and particularly in Naples, they've come up with a whole, you know, definition of what a pizza is, and it's pretty, pretty a touchy topic. Well, where you go. I was there a couple of years ago, and I've got young kids. They would have been five and nine at the time, so it was pasta one day, pizza the next. Uh, for like two weeks yeah, with gelato at the end of every one of them. But, you know, we were doing a lot of walking too. And they said the best pizza they have ever had in their lives was in Naples, oh, of course, well, the of home. Course, of course. Yeah. What are some of the rules? I've been told you can't, you can't have a cappuccino with a meal. <laughs> yeah, there are, there are quite a lot of rules and it takes some time to learn them when it comes to food etiquette in Italy. Um, the cappuccino for sure is one. I love a good cappuccino. Um, it's something I definitely picked up in Italy, uh, but you are supposed to have it on its own, perhaps with a, a croissant or a piece of toast made with Nutella on it in the morning, but absolutely not with a meal and never after 10 a.m. Can I ask one question? I mean, I, you're quite a well-traveled person as well, Elena. So um, what's your secret to travel? What do you try and do that makes travel the best it can be for you? <laughs> well, for me, I... I plan all of my travel around food, <laughs> so I maybe I don't pick the city necessarily based on the food, but when I know where I'm going, I will make an itinerary for my day that is essentially what is going to be the best thing I eat that day, and so I'll pick out, you know, what's the best place that makes bread in this city, and then I will start my day there, and I'll get a good coffee and some good toast, and then it's guaranteed to be a good day. <laughs> so in all your travels then, which country or which nationality has the best food? I've got to be partial to Italy, of yeah. course. You know, <laughs> Correct I, answer. I yeah, I can't even tell you. So, so I spent two weeks in Sicily um, at one point, which was incredible, and had multiple life-changing experiences when it comes to food. I actually had a sandwich that made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it was it was so moving. It was the best thing I've ever eaten, and I had the best pizza of my life in Sicily. Okay, no, 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 no. What was in the sandwich? Come on. <laughs> oh, it was probably like twenty ingredients. It was not a, a slap it together sort of sandwich. It was this wonderful little place down in Syracuse, right near the water, and you stand in line which is the only time you're going to see Italians standing in line for food because that's very, um, I think, a California or American thing generally to so think food is worth standing in line for. But this place is worth it, and you stand in line, and as you're standing there, there's like a little counter out front, and um, there's this little old man standing there, and he's there pretty much every day because I follow them on Instagram. So you're guaranteed to meet him pretty much if you go there. 
Um, and he's there with his whole family. I met them all. There's mother, grandmother, daughter, husband, children running around. And it's the, the older man that's making the sandwiches. And he's got this whole selection of ingredients in front of him. And he, like, just pulls everything together. And I didn't tell him what I wanted at all. I was like, you just make your sandwich. And it had, like, six kinds of cheese on it, probably four kinds of meat, um, a dozen different types of salads and greens, some tomatoes, um, fresh herbs from the garden nearby. I know what you mean. I'm with you on it. <laughs> like, I can't believe you cried. I cannot believe you cried. That's, that's, that's so cute. It was embarrassing. I, ha- I got my sandwich. I took a bite of it and I had to go sit in like in a corner far away from the people because I was crying. <laughs> Yum. I know what I feel like for dinner tonight. And you've revealed that you're a huge Italian fan. Yep. You eat a lot at work, actually. You get Italian takeaway. Yeah, yeah. Dude, there's a good one just around the corner. It's pretty great. You can't go past it. Now, this next chat was one you were a fan of. Yeah, Dr. Ne- Denise Hardesty. She's the principal research scientist and a team leader with CSIR. Oceans and Atmosphere. Her current research project focuses on plastic pollution and illegal fishing. We spoke to her about the environmental crisis that is the proliferation of single-use plastic after a photo emerged of a tide of plastic floating off Honduras. It's pretty confronting, I think, you know, to see the amount of plastic in those photos. Or, you know, it's not just plastic. It's building timbers and all sorts of things that have really been washed out there. It's, it's an astonishing amount from uh, the photographs that I've seen as well. Oh, right, and and that's partly due to the really bad hurricane season that they've had this year. Is that right? That is my expectation. That seems like the most parsimonious explanation. Sorry, I shouldn't say those sorts of things like that. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's all right. We've got brains. We're okay. We're with you. <laughs> no, but I realise I do talk in the geek speak a little bit. Yeah, I mean, my understanding, the first thing I thought when I looked at the photos that they were shown to me was, oh, yeah, well, we've just had huge storms come through there. This is clearly a result of those storms washing, you know, destroying buildings, destroying homes, destroying, you know, restaurants and businesses and everything along the waterfronts and in these islands and that it's washing out to sea and just creating these huge rafts of material floating around out there. We've had storms here and just walking to work this morning and I walk along the beach, there are just pockets of debris and amongst it are plastic bottles, sunscreen bottles, knives and forks, plastic knives and forks. What sort of stuff did you see? Well, we find everything from, you know, cigarette butts and beverage containers and cans and broken glass and things like that everything from that to toothbrushes and cigarette lighters all sorts of floating things we've also found which i find really interesting we find intact light bulbs what places yeah (laughs) how do they even how do they end up in the ocean well i guess they float when they get thrown away they go down down the water and into the ocean Exactly. And so those things float as well. And you're going to find those, you know, as you were mentioning on your walk, you know, along the beach this morning, you're going to find those in those accumulating areas, those areas that we call sinks that are basically going to respond or, you know, absorb sort of all the local trash that gets washed up in there. And those, you know, in those sorts of coves and goalie ways that are just going to accumulate all that trash that flows down the rivers, gets out into the coastal margin and washes right up on those beaches. But I guess the most worrying part of all that is the um, the stuff that gets called disposable 
but is it all that plastic stuff, all the bottles and uh, throwaway cutlery and things like that? That's the biggest concern, right? Well, you know, the the proliferation of single-use items in today's culture is a real problem given waste mismanagement, given actually what the true cost or true value is of these products that we make, use, dispose of. You know, and if you watch one of those videos that shows kind of the making of a plastic spoon and how it gets made and the chemicals that it's used and how it gets packaged and then transported and, you know, the miles that it takes to get to a place to end up in a plastic bag in a supermarket so you can buy it for 10 cents, you know, at an individual item, you know, then I think the tagline for one of those videos is, is it really too hard to wash? You know, that metal piece of cutlery that we use and can reuse. I mean, I actually... I. I have cutlery that sits in my bag. I have bamboo stuff I've had for, I don't know, 15 years or more in, you know, that I can use and reuse. And that works beautifully for me. And I think, you know, when we talk about the single use items of beverage containers and so many things in our society that are throwaway and we see those things on our beaches, on our coastlines, along our waterways and rivers and floating out there in the ocean sometimes. It's hard as a traveller, though, when you go to countries and you need to watch the water, for instance. So it's very convenient to buy a plastic bottle of water. I guess it then comes down to how responsible you are with that plastic bottle once you've finished with it. How responsible you are, what you can do around that. In a lot of places, you know, they have the large refillable, you know, 20-litre vessels that you can use. (laughs) Sure. You know, many places that we go, if you go to hotels and things like that, you're served things in plastic bottles and things. So I suppose you can ask, you can make responsible consumer decisions and try to make the choices that are in accordance with your values. And you really can do the very best that you can to make sure that things are disposed of properly and appropriately in places where there isn't clean drinking water and where some of those issues are a really significant challenge. I think, you know, a lot of people have got the idea about the plastic bottles and I mean, I see lots of people using reusable, refillable drinking bottles like metal ones or whatever. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I figure we just need that sort of consciousness to be spread across other things you do. Like like you say, you pack your own knife and fork in your bag. I mean, it's not that hard. You go to the camping store and you get a really lightweight one, can't you? Yep. Yep, you can. I mean, you can get something or you can get something that's you know that's durable even if it is lightweight and if you don't want to eat off of plastic then you can i mean really does it weigh that much to chuck a metal fork or a spork or a spoon in your bag and just use spork. that i mean spork you just took me back to my childhood thank you very much for that exactly well, mum had a really good camping shops <laughs> mum had a really good set of spades do you remember those no, I oh don't. they were like a little fork with a knife oh, edge on yes, it yeah yes awesome. i do remember that okay well we've come up with some solutions <laughs> uh, and that's just us you three sitting here having having a chat if if the world doesn't uh band together what what's the future of our oceans in with this particular problem wow it's not just going to be our oceans it's going to be our land it's going to be our rivers our streams it's going to be everywhere right i mean with the proliferation of thin lightweight plastic items that we use and throw away our land is going to be full of it our rivers are going to be full of it our oceans are going to be full of it as well yeah we can each do our bit and i think the message is getting out there okay it's the festing season so time for some light relief and a look behind the scenes of making the world nomads Mm. podcast teach pty is a social enterprise that offers travelers the opportunity to teach english to children and experience the panamanian oh that's gonna be (laughs) speaking of teaching english I've got to learn to speak it. The Hannah Mame... Oh, no. I've done it again. No, here we go. Third time lucky. 
Well, no, it's off the coast of Honduras. Honduras. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we are in charge of a global travel <laughs> podcast. <laughs> There's been an article doing the rounds recently, and it's quite shocked quite a lot a lot of people. We we're talking about it in the beginning, just off the uh, Honduran island of Roatan. Roatan. <laughs> Can I just say I can't wait until we get to Iceland. Oh, Iceland's already <laughs> causing me sleepless nights. <laughs> My name is Kim, and the man sitting across from me is Phil, who's kept our listeners waiting two weeks for the answer to his travel quiz question. Phil. But, well, it was just too good, wasn't it? Either that, or we're you know f- hopeless, hopeless. Yeah, yeah. something or other. Uh, yeah, we got a bit carried away, and I forgot uh, to mention. Uh, Let me turn that off. Ingo. Do you want me to help you there? Yeah, yeah, would you mind? I, I practice this. Ingolfur Bjargmansson. Ingolfur Bjargmansson. Ingo, how are you, mate? Plus, we've got Phil's travel news, Ask Phil, and Phil's quiz question. And now, Ask Phil. That's for Ask Phil. Oh, Ask Phil. <laughs> uh, hang on, hang on, I'm lost. Ingo Bjargmansson. No, it's a bit German. Munson. What is the answer to your quiz question? <laughs> hey, we remembered it. Uh, hang on, where is it? Run. I've forgotten. <laughs> You've got to find it. <laughs> All right, the name Guatemala is thought to be derived from an ancient, ancient Mayan language and means land of many trees. Bit of a hint there about the place being heavily forested, but how much of Guatemala is forest? Guatemala. Guatemala is Morist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing that little video. How much of what? In 27... <laughs> Jeez. No, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what? No, stop. No, seriously. We're going to have to take that out. Oh, no, we are. I'm... We're going to have to take that yeah, out for Virgin. They won't let it go. They won't let it go. We'll cut it out. All right. Okay. And as the famous psychologist Frank Smith says... He's one a la- psycholinguist. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> As the famous psycholinguist Frank Smith says, one language. <laughs> can't even speak the one you born with. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. Phil, how we end up getting a podcast out each week actually is and just me. A lot. We should have put a collection together of our pronunciations as well. Oh, that's one we need to work on. We're shocking at that. Look, we couldn't do it without our World Nomads team, along with the guests that we have and our partners as part of our uh, podcast episodes. But this was a favourite of mine with Ellen Hall, our editorial producer in our North American office. She was on the street with Andres Brenner in Argentina. So I am here with Andres Brenner, and he is our... Well, I will let you introduce yourself, so... Um, Hello, Ellen. (laughs) I'm Andres Brenner. I'm 33 years old. I'm from Argentina. Um, I'm a filmmaker and traveller. So basically what I do is I travel around the world and I try to look for interesting stories to share with people. Just travel, find stories, film and then share them with people mostly through World Nomads. Actually you were one of our uh, scholarship, uh, film scholarship winners, correct? What year was that? Yeah, it was in 2013. I applied for the Travel Filmmaking Scholarship and I won, so I went to Mardi Gras, to New Orleans with Brian Rapsi. It was amazing. And it was like a big push for me, the World Nomads uh, Filmmaking Scholarship. And since then, I have been working uh, with World Nomads, and right now I'm shooting uh, Microdocs, 
um, about cultures around the world. So basically what I do is I travel to different countries, I look for stories there, I film these stories, and then when I come back to Argentina, I edit them, and then where nomads share those stories online. Um, so, and you are, uh, you say you're, you're from, from Buenos Aires, you were born here, is that yeah, right? Yeah, I am from Buenos Aires, I was born here in, in Palermo, where we are right now. It's a, a nice neighborhood. When, actually, when, when I was born here, long time ago, uh, it was not, it, it has been always a, like a beautiful neighborhood, but it was not as touristic and as fancy as it is right now so right now i don't live in palermo anymore i live a little bit more far away but i do have palermo in my heart you know like i used to be um what what today is palermo soho used to there used to be nothing here just houses so most of the shops and restaurants and bars that we see today here in palermo soho to yeah uh, some years ago, when I was a when I was a kid, there was nothing, only houses. Actually, one of my good friends' house right now is a, a restaurant here around the corner. So, okay. and I was telling Tim the other day that this this square here, which is like the the main area of Palermo Soho, is a Plaza Serrano, yeah. the Serrano Square. That one, when I was 15 years old, we used to come here, and there was nothing. We used to come here with our with a guitar, you know, to play guitar at night, uh. to have a drink. But it was everything brought by us. There were no bars, nothing. Wow, because it yeah. is really hopping now. It's totally different. Now is a place where to be. If you go out in Buenos Aires at night, you want to have a drink or you want to eat something. In every not everything, but many things happen in Palermo Soho. Yeah, we've been having a great time here, um, but. There's lots and lots of great neighborhoods in Buenos mm -hmm. Aires. So, uh, where would you suggest um, that um, visitors come if they only have a few days? Where can they come and get a really good, authentic Buenos Aires experience? Um, I think San Telmo is is important to go to San Telmo. It's very nice. It's where you can find more of the traditional culture of Buenos Aires, like the tango scene, and also for food. There are some street markets during the weekends. Um, that's a, an interesting place to get to know you is like a must you know and then other neighborhoods of the city of course Palermo and then if you have one spare day one extra day I would really do recommend to to go to Tigre it's a, a city is like an hour ride in a train and then there you can take a boat and you can get to visit the thousands of islands that we have here it's a we have a big river coming from down from brazil and there's a big delta this delta uh, finishes in the rio de la plata and between like the delta the delta is formed by thousands of islands and there is people living there and like locals and it's very interesting it's like a completely different experience but still close to the city so you can do it in a day tour and it's very nice it's i think argentina it's it's a very interesting country and it is so big that depending on where you go you get to see so many different things for example when you travel to the north of argentina the culture is uh, completely different is it feels like for people who who is not from here from argentina maybe they can feel it like a different country because uh, food is different, 
Uh, people is very nice there. I think people is nice all around the country, but you see a difference. You see, you see a difference. And the north, I love the Patagonia. Patagonia is amazing, also. But Patagonia, for me, I think it's more about the landscapes. In the north, you get landscapes and you get also the culture and the people. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but um, do you have any other what, uh, anything about culturally that you think people should know before they travel here? I think people is. People here is very, very open. Buenos Aires is a very cosmopolitan city. Uh, there is many people who speak English, so shouldn't be too difficult to travel to, to Buenos Aires. And I can recommend for people who loves food to go out. Uh, there, there is a kind of two different scenes. There are like the typical fancy restaurants, especially in Palermo, is what we call the Palermo Hollywood mm. style of restaurants. And then you have the traditional restaurants, which we call bodegones. I would definitely recommend travelers to go and try one, two or three, some bodegones. The bodegones, they are like old buildings, traditional restaurants, maybe they have been there for 50 years or 60, I don't know, and you enter a bodegon and you will feel like the walls they speak because usually they have uh, pictures, articles from the newspapers, t-shirts um, from football players that are friends of the owner restaurant, so they they will hang there. It's like a, like a living museum, you know? Well, awesome. This is wonderful. And I want to hear in 2019 more chats outside with that yep. great kind of ambient sound because yep. you really felt like yep. you were there in Argentina, didn't you? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do more of that for sure. Yeah, so thanks for that, Ellen. Another of our team we catch up with regularly is Christina Tunner, the General Manager of the Americas. Tunzi, as we call her, featured in our episode on the US where she told us about artisan America and uh, some interesting cowboy culture. We were lucky enough to have her in the studio at Will Nomer's headquarters in Sydney, which was lovely. Hello. Now, listen, like, last time we spoke to you, we, we were talking about, you know, loving places to death and you said you've got to, you know, like let go of the bucket list basically because mm. that's like it's you've got to start looking for things outside of that. And I remember the comment you actually said, if you like wine and cheese, then basically any village in France will do you. Yeah. So, you know, but let's talk about the USA. Okay, you've got to tick off those things. You've got to go to New York. It's fantastic. You've got to go to San Francisco. You've got to do those sorts of things. Aren't you even planning Disneyland? Because I've got kids under protest. <laughs> All right. Give me a break. Let's talk about where you live for a start. Mm -hmm. You're in East Bay, San Francisco. I am. Berkeley. Berkeley. People's oh, Republic. Sure. Okay. But it's not really on the tourist trail, is it? Uh, no. Well, yeah, no, not really. I mean, if you read any guidebook on San Francisco, very few will tell you to see what's going on in Oakland and, and Berkeley. But I think more and more, if you have a special interest, like if you're into food or if you're into skateboarding, or into hiking, then you'll know that these are the places that you're going to want to go to. So Oakland is on fire. Scads of restaurants opening up, uh, microbreweries, cideries, coffee shops, coffee roasteries. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really great. Now, touching on the, the microbreweries, and you featured again, well, actually, Christine has been on a couple of the podcasts. It was the Christmas episode when you talked about bees in Brooklyn. <laughs> and we've had a further conversation about there's actually this sort of growing artisan culture mm -hmm. yeah. uh, in the U.S. Yeah, no, it's huge. Um, I, I think you'd be really hard pushed to go anywhere in the U.S. where there isn't that element where you can source artisan foods, cheeses, wines, liquors, anything like that. Like the, the Brooklyn one was the um, 
well, there's always, you know, the microbreweries, but the bee yeah. keepers on the rooftops where um, in industrial city or city of industry city, ICC, um, is a little suburb area in Brooklyn where you could go and see all these artisans making the chocolate or the bees. And the bees, uh, the honey is made from different hives that are placed all over Manhattan. Well, actually, the five boroughs. And they get the, you know, they get the combs and they manufacture the honey and it, they, they, they sell it in these sort of test tube Wow. things and cool. every batch is going to be different because of course bees are spitting out what they're taking in and sometimes what they're taking in could be like really odd red colored things and they had this one honey one year where it was bright red and they couldn't figure out why honey was red and it was because right next to the beehive building was a maraschino factory <laughs> and so the bees Cherries. were you know hanging out by the sweet stuff yeah outside the factory and then of course you know out they spit some red stuff yeah, I mean, the big centers are San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York. Give me something, uh, you know, California-wise, what else have we got there? Um, well, actually, some really cute agricultural, you know, California. People don't think about this with Californians, but um, it, there's a lot of cowboy culture. Um, so you go further up north, there'd be a lot of outposts that are very much, they're driving, they're cattle ranchers driving the, the, uh, the herds through the great expanses of, of northern California. And, of course, that bleeds into Nevada. And uh, every year in January is the Cowboy Gathering, and it's uh, the official name I, I'm, I'm butchering, but it's the week where cowboys from all over the country come, and is they it do the poetry. Bro- the Brokeback Weekend? It's the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering, and it takes place in Elko, Nevada. Um, you know, it's, it's poetry, but it's also um, music, seminars, and workshops, and you can go and learn how to make um, cowboy hats. You can learn how to do uh, rawhide braiding. You can learn how to fix your spurs. Um, it's just amazing. It's a gem in the calendar for visiting California and, and incorporating Nevada and a bit of that Americana. But cowboys and poetry? Yes, because they have a lot of spare time. They spend all their time out, as Phil clearly knows, <laughs> from his single source of one film, um, that you know they spend a lot of time out in the range. And so they entertain themselves around the campfire with stories and um, they create poetry and they have a lot of time to reflect when it's off season. So when it's winter, cool. that's the time that they're not out grazing and, and running their, their herds. And so it's a really, really strong tradition and it's just a magical, magical gem. So when people are thinking about coming to San Francisco, you know, don't just come in the summer when it's actually really cold. Um, maybe come in the winter and do a bit of skiing in Tahoe. Go to the Elko, the you know the, the yeah. cowboy gathering, and it's really a fantastic trip just therein. Northern California, another great example of there's a whole volcano trail. Volcanoes, California. Who knew? Exactly. Yeah, my eyes have exactly my, my eyes right? have popped. So no. it's it's um, you know it, again I can't emphasize enough. Get off that beaten path. And while I agree, there's some amazing things to see in these iconic places, but please go to Northern California and hop in a car and take that little right right turn off of weed which is ironic because now it's legal, but weed California. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and all up that road going up through Klamath Falls, up through Bend, Oregon, over and up into the state of Washington, and then you cut back into, into Seattle, is ringed by volcanoes. And even wow. in the middle of summer, they still have snow cap. On the, it's just stunning, stunning stuff. And nary a tourist bus will you find there. Before we let you go, this is your opportunity to spruik those places. Is there anything else on your list there that you have in front of you well, that you'd like to share? I just, you know, there's just so many different things around, you know, it depends what you like. Um, you know, if you're into a bit of Americana, then I am a big fan of a Sturgis motorcycle. 
gathering in um, South Dakota, which happens every year, and that's uh, it's where all the motorbikers come, and it's they're you know, driving Harleys and Indians and all kinds of imports, and that's a cultural yeah. event that you could incorporate with visiting Devil's Devil's Tower, or Devil's Monument. Um, Mount Rushmore. So there's a lot of things that you can cluster together. The Harley Museum is in in uh, Milwaukee, so you can really combine great stuff in little pockets of I mean, with the fermentation festival. You know, there's great stuff that you can do there. There's Vermont, New England. Um, I'm a big fan of music as a motivator to travel, and a great one to consider is Galax, Virginia, which is the Old Fiddler's Convention. The Old Fiddler's The Old convention. Fiddler's Convention. And it's, um, again, you know, a week worth of people doing a competition for money. And they're doing it on playing things like the dobro and mandolin and fiddles. And they have flat shoe dancing. And it's outdoor and you can camp or you can stay in one of the nearby hotels. But it's out in the middle of the the Blue Ridge Mountains. And it's just Americana. And it's great. And no one goes there but... Real people. <laughs> real people. Real, real people. people. That's, that's the, we're real people, aren't we? Fiddler? We're real people. Yes, yeah. I'm an old fiddler myself. Verb more than noun. Hey, it's awesome to see you down here in uh, World Nomads headquarters and great yeah. to have you on the show again. Oh, thanks for having me. If you have an idea for a guest, please email podcast at wallnomads.com. Yeah, great. You can get us by subscribing on iTunes or download the Google Play app and you can also yell out to Alexa and Google Home to play the World Nomads podcast and there it will be straight away for you. Yep. We'll return in 2019 with more fabulous destinations and amazing nomads. But for now, it's Merry Christmas from the World Nomads team. Happy holidays. The World Nomads podcast. Explore your boundaries.